Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, Erev Shabbos now in the morning. I have a big phone call at 12, so I'm going to try to do this now. Uh, we look in Parshas Nitzavim, and of course Rosh Hashanah is around the corner. Uh, in two days, whatever. Think about that. Uh, Parshas Nitzavim, very quickly, is Arya Kaplan. I kid you not. Uh, if you want my opinion, which is all I can ever give, you, uh, when particularly in Parshas Nitzavim, which is short but very dramatic, you want to get Arya Kaplan because he's got the best translation uh, in general, particularly in this parsha, because it's coming right after the Tochacha, and Moshe Rabbeinu gave it to him. Uh, he unleashed holy hell on everybody, as we all know. And uh, they're all scared. And then he very interestingly says, you're all here to witness what I just said. You know what I mean? Which is a very seaboard kind of thing. And uh, But then he not only predicts that the Tochacha will happen, because that's what last week's parsha was about, I repeat, predicts. But he also says that it's not the end of the story. There'll be a happy ending at the end after all the junk is over. And I would read it to you in English. I always like to do this when it comes particularly to Parshanit Sobham, where it says in the second part, This is the Ari Kaplan translation. After he finished saying, Stay away from the Nister and, 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 and just try and do the regular nigel, do the mitzvahs. He says, No, this is speech of Moshe Rabbeinu. There shall come a time when you will experience all the words of blessing and curse that I present, presented to you. Meaning, you'll get hit by the Tochacha. There, among the nations where God, where God will have banished you, you will reflect on the situation. You will then return to God your Lord and obey Him, doing everything that I'm commanding you today. You and your children will repent. With all your heart and soul. So, this is a prediction that, although you're all going to be stupid and have to undergo all the toch, all the rest of it, but the happy ending. Somewhere down the line, after the holocausts are over and after all the other stuff is over, sooner or later you will actually get it and you'll be like a real tissue. But look what he said. That's quite a statement. You and your children. And then God will then bring back, so that's when you're in Gaulish. And then God will then bring back your remnants, and He will mercy on you, and He will gather you again from the nations where He scattered you. Even if you're scattered all over the world, you'll come back. God will, God will take you back to Israel, and He will bring you to the land your ancestors occupied, and you will, you will occupy it. And God will be good to you and make you flourish even more than your ancestors. God will remove the barriers from your hearts. Which in Hebrew means, uh, which is Elul. Circumcise the foreskin of the hearts. So God will remove the barriers from your hearts and from the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love God with all your heart and all your soul and there you will survive. Uh, so there's a prediction that sooner or later Jewish people have a genuine and complete Teshub Shlema. And God will, and since this is the Middle East we're talking about, it's not. <laughs> 
it's not a perfect ending until the Arabs take you on the chin. And then, So not only will it be the end of your suffering, but it will be the beginning of theirs. God will direct all these curses in the Tukha against your enemies and against the foes who pursued you. You know, ordinarily, so I guess it's enough if I succeed. No, it's not. Your enemies have to fail. And then, you will then repent and obey God, keeping all His commandments as I prescribed them today. That's quite a statement. And the Hosir Hashem, God will give you a big surplus in all the work of your hands, the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your livestock, livestock, and the fruit of your land. And uh, God will rejoice in you for good, just as He rejoiced in your fathers, meaning in Avram Yitzhak And this will all happen when you obey God, Lord, keeping all the mitzvahs of the Torah, and when you return to the Lord, with all your heart and heart and your soul. Now, others translate that and read that differently, and the text does admit of other ways of translating it. Um, I don't like to get into this, but, you know, it's like a machlogus Rambam and Ramban, whether this is a mitzvah or a prediction. It's easy to say it's a prediction. Ramban, if I remember correctly, learns from this passage that we just said, like a command. Uh, you must return, you know, you must do teshuva. But the Rambam, if you remember, I remember some place there in the middle where he says, the prophets of Israel predict that sooner or later the Jewish people will repent one day and they'll see the light. It's a, it's a prediction. And Rabbeinu Yonah, I remember, at the beginning of Shari Tshuva, says that um, God will make it possible even for people who's, who's not in their teva to uh, repent. That's the meaning of Mola Shem to circumcise forcing the heart. You'll be able to do things that ordinarily you say, it's not me, I can't do it. So this is quite a prediction over here, and it's like the antidote, you might say, to the depression of Pasha Savo and the Tokacha. So that's quite a, a, a business they have in this Pasha. And after that, you don't even need a Farshim, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, if you just contemplate everything I just said, or uh, everything we just read in the Pasha today, which is a very short Pasha, then um, you'll see that it's uh, you know, a, a, quite a prediction. So much so that the Jews can't believe it. Moshe goes on to say, this is not too, uh, it's not beyond you. This is the place where you all hear those expressions. Everything I just predicted, uh, 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 predict, Moshe says, basically could happen now, but it won't. Uh, so 3,000 years ago, the Jews would have done this Moshe is saying, then we can skip the next 3,000 years of Jewish history with all the junk and all the persecutions and suffering. But we won't. So therefore it'll take 3,000 years, hopefully not four, and sooner or later you will get it. And when you do, then everything will be great and fantastic and and all the rest of it. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's a remarkable passage uh, in the Parsha. As we know, it's Rosh Hashanah coming up also, so I'm going to say a few words about that. Or specifically... I was contemplating myself. Uh, I bought the other day a Chendes uh, Yomim because that's where you get Ladov Shamori from. And the Chendes Yomim, I bought it because I saw it in the store and it came out in a very, very user-friendly edition, which was a surprise to me. Um, and I can't resist those types of things. You know, with a lot of broken up into small pieces with the headings in there. The kind of thing I like, dummy, d- dummy-friendly. Uh, the Chem Das Yomim is uh, one of the most remarkable books out there, and very controversial, 
because it was published in the early 1700s, and Yaakov Emden said it's a Shabtai Tzvi book. Uh, he said if you deconstruct the poems and the acrostics and the gematrias, you see it's Shabtai Tzvi. A little bit like the Emden Ameshitz thing we spoke about the other day. And that stigmatized the book, Hamdesiyamim, for a long time. However, there are many other people say, so I guess Yaakov is just totally wrong, and it's nothing like that whatsoever. It's actually a very interesting uh, book of the old Kabbalistic, pietistic variety, including the people who said it's a good book, because they've only gone, for example, you know, Rebchaim Velosh and people like that, uh, Rebbe Yosef's father, the Leshem Shobach Lama, you know. So, I, I never was really so much into it, but since it's El old time anyway, and like I said before, it came out in this very unusually, to me, uh, dumbbell-friendly uh, edition, so I got it. And it is, a ch- believe me, you probably never heard of the Sefer, most of you. Chem Das A lot of what we do during the year comes from that book. It doesn't come from the Gemara, it doesn't come from the Shulchan Aruch. Yeah, so, for example, it's a Seyla Dabba Shemori. And, uh, which is why some people didn't say it, because they thought it's a Beitian, since it comes from Chem Das But in point of actual fact, that's not what it is. I don't want to go into a learned disquisition on the literary composition of the Chem Das but a friend of mine who was recently in Baltimore, Rabbi Goldhaber, from Yerushalayim, a very, very big Tamachachim and historian. You know, Chesedah guy with the whole outfit uh, wrote a very nice article which he, you know, discusses who wrote it, who didn't write it, and all the rest of it. So it's a from book. And it's Kabbalistic a lot, but, you know, uh, a lot of what we do, like I say, you have no idea why am I doing this custom here or that here over the course of the year. It really comes from the Chem Des Yomim. And uh, since I was in that frame of mind, so it's, it made me think of Dov Hashem Ori, because that, it comes from the Chem Dasyam to say that. Uh, I, me, myself, and I have a very personal relationship in a funny way with the Dov Hashem Ori, because back in 1983, when I got married, uh, which was in July, late July, so uh, a short time after we got married, we went to Russia. At that time, it was under the communists. We were in the go to, you know, smuggling things in and all that kind of stuff. Uh, back in the days of the Refuseniks. And uh, it so transpired that Karen and I, you know, we were just married. We were there on Rosh Hashanah. A little before and a little after. Came back to Baltimore and back to nearest on time for, for Yom Kippur. But Rosh Hashanah, we were over there. And there were two synagogues at that time in communist Moscow. There was the Biggie on Archipova Street, which I imagine is still there. I'm sure it is. Now it's a completely different situation. And there was another one called Marina Rosho, which I believe burned in a fire later on. Maybe it was rebuilt, I don't know, in another uh, neighborhood. I guess it's called Marina Rosho. And my assignment was to bring some books and meet in some secret conclave with these uh, refusings who were from on Rosh Hashanah, especially after services to have like a meal and say Torah and all that kind of business. So to make a long story short, I'm telling you some of my autobiography, uh, so I was in this big fancy hotel, and I had to walk, remember I'd never been in Moscow in my life, and this sounded like a communist, and I was given directions to go in such and such a place, and go, you know, 10 blocks this way, 5 blocks that way, and you know, that kind of thing, and then you'll find the synagogue, and I can't speak Russian, I understand a little bit, but not enough to get along in Moscow, and it was overcast day. And to make matters even better, it turned out that we had discovered that one of the people in the group was going to be in the show is a KGB spy. He was a, a traitor, you know. For all I know, the guy might be a Rosh Hashiva in Israel today. You know, people did all kind of 
crazy things under the communist with the KGB. So basically, I was making my pants. You know, you you you're scared out of your mind, but I did it, and I took a knapsack with me because you can carry yontif. And it had uh, these forbidden books in them. I forgot, you know, a Sidurum? It wasn't Sidurum. It was something else. I can't recall exactly. But whatever I was carrying, I was supposed to carry. And my passport. Oh, my Lord. So you're walking, walking, walking. It's, it was a good walk of four or five miles. And it's an 83. And naturally, I was scared out of my mind. Uh, you'd be crazy not to be. And I remember walking. And this is early in the morning of Rosh Hashanah, correct? You're trying to find this show. And you know, if you're in the wrong neighborhood, you're really up the creek. And I remember just saying over to myself, because it fits so well, you know, if my enemies surround me, don't abandon me, O oh Lord. And, you know, uh, everybody else has left me alone, but you're still there. And, uh, you know, I mean, boy, oh boy, it fit like a glove. And, I, and so I just said this to keep my courage up. I bet you I said on that walk a hundred times, <laughs> you know. Something like that. It was crazy. And it's more out of desperation than anything else. But I found it uh, reassuring. Isn't that interesting? You know, to the degree. It didn't take away the fright, but it reassuring. And along the way, thank God, Elian Navi showed up. In other words, one of the from Jews, you might say, saw me on the street, and he walked with me the last half of the journey. And so, therefore, we naturally found the right place. Who knows what would happen otherwise? So ever since then, I relate to Ladova Shamari in a kind of personal way, especially comes out and all the others in ways that perhaps other people don't. But not so much. Uh, I'm talking about at the level of Pashiv Shat. But this year, uh, once I got to Chem Nisiyam, made me start thinking about uh, this Psalm 27, is what we're talking about, Kapitel Chav Zion. And uh, I started thinking about the words that soar in a, in, in, in a um, what should I say, more spiritual way. That might not be the right way of putting it. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, it's a very architectural kind of business. I, I, I spoke about this the other day in a, in a small shir, um, because he's talking about Shifti Vivei Sashem calling Mechaya, that's a house. Levakir Behechalo, and that's a Hechol, which is not a house, it's the inner room of the house, which reminds me of the Rambam's famous uh, description at the end of The Guided Perplexed of the people who don't understand what spirituality is really about. Remember he said, imagine a king. In, you know, I'm talking about at the end of the Mernavuchim. He says, imagine a king in a castle, and people want to go see the king, and he's in the throne room, and a lot of people don't know how to get there, and he says, like, take the Goyim. They want to go to the king, but they simply are going in the wrong direction. So even though they think they're going towards the castle, they end up going away from it because they're, uh, their intention is good, but they're misguided. And I remember the Rambam, this is like the Shiva guys or something, where he says, then there's those who just study the Gemara, Halacha, but no spirituality with it. And they, they're able to walk around the castle, but they don't, can't, can't, um, can't find the key to get in, you know, and so on and so forth. And only the truly spiritual, truly philosophical are able to get in Mamish into the middle room to see the king. So you got to find where the castle located through the fog, and then you got to locate the door, and you got to get in, then you're only in the courtyard, you see what I'm saying? And then you got, it's like one of these computer games, and then you got to find your way from the courtyard to the inner chamber, and then find the inner inner chamber where the king is. And here's King David saying, I want to dwell in the base Hashem. Uh, I don't want to dwell, I want to be Mavaker, I want to uh, 
visit in the Hechol, which is the inner room, which sounds like a person can't aspire to be constantly in the inner room. I don't know, it's, it's, I'm throwing these out as food for thought. Uh, but you can only uh, be Mavakir, visit there. There are Musri interpretations that I don't like them. You know, you should always have a sense that you're new. But uh, this, that's not what's going on over here. It's something heavy and, and mystical. Uh, going. So here you have a reference to a room and uh, you have a reference to a house. And and then you have this very interesting verse. You know, Then I'll go into the Ohel, which is not a house, and I know it's a tent, of course. It's not an house, it's not a tent. I'm sorry, it's not a Hechol, uh, but it's a tent, uh, uh, which is really interesting. And he also says, Kiyotini Besuko, God will hide me in a sukkah. So you got four types of architecture going up here. You got your bias, you got your Hechol, you got your sukkah, and your tent, and your Ohel. And each one is a, do you see what I'm saying? This is some, it reminds me of the Hechalot literature in which, like in the Gemara, they remember they, the four people wanted to go into the parties. And they said, watch out for this room, and it's not really room, and marble is water, water is marble, and all this other business. And there's much greater detailed literature than that little piece in the Gemara Chagiga, too. It's called Sefer Pirkei Cholos. And uh, Davidov is clearly referencing this. And here, the Sefer Chemdes Yaman, which is a Lurianic, a Rizal-type, Kabbalistic-type uh, manual, is saying that this is what people are supposed to recite 40 days. Hear what I said? 40 days. Uh, what, 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 what does that mean? And just by way of uh, like a Musab or just interesting to me, I don't know why it caught my attention this year. If you look at the uh, Vav, Pasuk Vav, it says Psalm 27, verse 6, a capital Chavzayan, Pasuk Vav, that we say all the time. I will offer up in the Ohel. Interesting, right? Zivchei Trua. How do you, which is a reference, sounds like Trua. Um, you know, no, but, but what does that mean? And that calls attention in the context of Rosh Hashanah to what is true, as I've said, everybody knows many times, it doesn't say anywhere in the Chumash what Rosh Hashanah is about. Uh, it just says in the first day of the seventh month, you should offer up X number of Karbonas. And it does say Yom Trua Yelechem, but who knows what Trua means? It can mean a lot of things. It really can. It can mean a blast of a, of a horn. It can. It can also mean his orus. Uh, trua, it really can. Trua can also mean reus, you know, friendship. Trua can be a shepherding from a roah. There, there are other, I mean, it's, you know, the Hebrew language is, is, is of that nature. It's very supple. And certain words can have a whole lot of different meanings. We have fixed upon trua in the sense of laharia, you know, to blow shofar. But, uh, which is not so push it either. That's the Gemara has to do through Zerah Shabbos and things like that. But uh, it doesn't have to be. See, you know, I was wondering, what's the... So I look up, I just, for a lark, I'll put it online. Whenever I'm interested in a, in a strange Hebrew translation, there are places you go on the internet, you see how all the Bibles of all the different groups and denominations throughout the world, uh, you know, do it. And everybody says, Zivchei Truas, like Rashi, Carbonus uh, 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 accompanied by songs. Ezbechah ba'olei Zivchei Truas. I will offer in the, in, the, in, in the tent of the Lord, sacrifice accompanied by my song. Which is okay with me, but I don't know, it didn't, didn't really turn me on. And uh, uh, I, I'm looking for something better, you know. Uh, so, or at least something that speaks to me, let's put it that way. Not better, but something that speaks to me. And I fixed upon the Targum. 
I know who does the Targum on um, Tehillim. We know the Targum of Chumash is the Uncle Listen Targum and the Navi is the Yonosem uh, Bezil. But you got the Targum over here. And he did something very interesting. He says, V'ikos, I'm looking at it right in front of me. V'ekos b'mashkenei nichse raivo. Ashabach v'abua l'avanoi. That, uh, ekos means, I will, uh, I will, I will sacrifice in his mishkan, in his tent. Interesting, he translates the tent as mishkan. Uh, meaning, this would be King David referring to, not the temple, but the mishkan. Remember, he did not live to see the building of the temple. He, in his time, it was it was a, a sort of a Mishkan type situation after the Philistines. This is before his became king, in the reign of King Saul. After the Philistines defeated the Jews at the Battle of Ophik, they captured the Ark. Remember that story, and they destroyed the Gemara says they destroyed the Mishkan, and uh, it was just the Ark, and uh, you know made some of the furniture over there. It's not clear, you know, what the Philistines left behind. And David Amelch, when he became king, one of his projects was to bring the ark after the Philistines had to give it back because they got attacked from hemorrhoids. Boy, that's that's a way of fighting. Anyhow, um, and he brought the Aaron to Yerushalayim and he put it in a tent and that's what remained his entire life because God would not permit him, as I think everybody knows, to build a base of Migdash. So in David's personal time, he may be saying... In other words, he's piously saying, boy, I, I'm going push up shot now. Boy, I wish I could have Beis Hashem. I just wish I could do that. But I can't. And then I could go into the Heichol, you know, in the Kodesh Kedoshim or something like that. But I can't. But I do have the O.L. So it could mean, you know, accompanied by, by, by uh, shofar blasts or songs or things like that. But what did the Targum say? He he says like this, Nixe Rival. So there the word trua is is understood to be a cognate of the Aramaic. Uh, meaning a lot of words in Hebrew and Aramaic are very similar. And that's not just for the heck of it. It's not simply because of um I'm speaking from a from perspective now. Not simply because, you know, they have a Semitic roots in common, all the rest of it. But because there's something semi-special about the Aramaic language. The Gemara's composed the Aramaic language, as we know, and so on and so forth. And therefore, he'll bring, the word trua can sound like rival. And rival in Aramaic, uh, you probably notice, is rotzon, right? Ravo. Uh, you know, so trua can mean rival. So then what's the, what's the translation of zivche trua? Um, Carbonus, that are of, that you will, that you like. That works. But I would prefer to say that David, thinking in an air Rosh Hashanah type atmosphere, David is saying like this, I will go in the tent and offer zivchei trua, sacrifices of my will. Which means there are things I like to do to people who mess me over, but I'm going to be mavater. Uh, the highest tshuva is if you're zovech yorotzon. Uh, a lot of things you'd like to do, but you say, even though I'd like to do it, I'm not going to do it because Hashem doesn't want me to do it. That's what you call Teshuv Me'ava. That's a big madre. I ain't for everybody, right? I mean, theoretically, it's for everybody. I don't know that many people that are holding by that. Ziv Chetrua. It is a beautiful phrase. Uh, and this is like, lies at the at the core, seems to me, this Arab Rosh Hashanah, of this, uh, of this psalm that we're told to say 40 days and 40, uh, you know, 40 days and 40 nights. 
So when we're repeating the experience of Moshe Rabbeinu, going 40 days and 40 nights, culminating in Kippur, actually say it even a little more, don't you? Say it into uh, Sukkot as a Kabbalistic concept where, um, you know, like the Rizal who says that it's not the Aserah Simei Teshuvah, you need another 10 days in addition to that. I forget, how does it go? Because I think the Gemara says, the Rishayim, if they're Zocha, they're Nechtavim Lachayim, but it doesn't say they're Nechtamim Lachayim. You know, the Gemara about the three books, the Tzadik and the Benim and the Gemara. And so when are the Rishayim, if they are repenting, uh, when are they Nechtamim, when are they sealed in the Book of Life? Uh, that takes another 10 days. I think that's how it works out, according to the Re. That's when you say all this uh Hashem stuff. Uh, so it turns out that you have some very sublime kinds of thoughts. I'm simply pointing out that, in my opinion, everybody should pick one capital to Helam that kind of works for them. And that's something they can uh, you know, meditate on or think about, certainly this time of year. And honestly speaking, there's a, there's a, there's a forum say this. Everybody should have one capital to Helam that they can say all the time it has some kind of meaning for them. I can't tell you what to do, just like I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want to say one last point, and that is, I gave a talk on this in a shul somewhere, so I don't want to belabor this because it'll take a long time, but I'll just want to give the the basic idea. And I spoke before, a week ago or two weeks ago, about the Kadeh Library of Sassat, and I know I mentioned it here in some context or another, where you say you blow the extra chauffeurs, chauffeur blowing the tekiahs to Meyushav in order to confuse the Satan. And, you know, the push shot, as I said, was you uh, try to frustrate the attorney by shouting. The Rashi's shot is that they make them see that the Jews love the mitzvahs. Tosef's shot is you make the Satan think that it's the final, uh, you know, the, the, the final, com- the, the, the end of time and he's going to die. He's too scared. The Ramos interpretation naturally is Uru, Uru, Yishen, Mishinasem. You know, wake up from your moral slumber. There's no Satan, it's you. Uh, but the famous question is asked, uh, is the Satan stupid? And it happens all the years. Why don't you know better? Uh, and I suggested, and I'm going to share this with you before I close this down, and this is a thought for Rosh Hashanah, you can pursue it, uh, that we're dealing with, obviously this is all poetical, I mean, it's not literal, So, but on the other hand, it's not fantasy either, so what is it? You say the sultan is afraid of the of the chauffeur, of it's, or the chauffeur is ma'arveve as the sultan, as the expression goes. So uh, made me think a little bit. I apologize for that. And and um, what you see is, or I started to analyze. And when do you find the idea of a, a, of, a, of a chauffeur blown? So you said, well, people blow the chauffeur Rosh Hashanah. That's true. When else do you find the chauffeur blown? The answer is in heaven. At the trial, when you're being trialed, there's a chauffeur of Godel Yutaka. Uh, you're going to say in the Sanatokov, aren't you? So he says, the court is called in the session, Sanatokov, of a chauffeur of Godel Yutaka, called the Mama Daka Yishama. And there's a still, stillness in the air. And the Malachim are afraid and all the rest of it. So the poet of the Sanatokov goes to the trouble of saying, when the court is held in Shemaim, a great chauffeur is blown. Chauffeur of Godel Yutaka. And in the um, Shofris and the Shemonesri, you reference this. Now, consider well, when do we find in Judaism reference to a great Shofar in, 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 in heaven or, or something like that? Uh, I can think of three times. Uh, one is when the Torah was given to Mount Sinai. The second one is 
at the end of days when you have in the Kibbutz Goliath. Um, you know, it says that Takaba Shavar Gadol here. You seen him, but Shavar Gadol Uvo Obdi Meiritz Asher Vani Doch Meiritz Yisrael. You know that. And uh, similar verses about the Chisamish. And the third time is in Rosh Hashanah. Now, none of these refer to actual shofar in the physical sense that we're blowing. Consider for a moment. At Mount Sinai, there was no shofar present. I, the pasuk goes to great trouble to tell you there was a shofar. There was a cold shofar, but it wasn't a shofar. That's not what we would call a typical musical sound. So you're talking about a spiritual reality. Uh, it's done this with Cholam Roim Asakolos. Did I mention this before? And then, by Tchiyas Mason also, let's say, for example, the Mashiach comes. So uh, they're going to blow on a big shofar. It doesn't mean somebody's going to blow on a horn. It means there'll be some spiritual awakening along the lines that we read today in Parshat Nitzavim. So we use these terms to denote spiritual experiences. And similarly, there's no actual court in heaven in Rosh Hashanah. A mishpat happens, but nobody's sitting on an actual throne. And so if they say it's a great shofar blowing, it means that there's uh, something uh, uh, spiritual happening in Shemayim. That's something that confuses the Satan, meaning that's something that's not totally in the fact that, hey, dummy, didn't you notice last year? Why are you doing this again? This is spiritual, we can see it's a spiritual reality to which one can, can, cannot avoid being affected. I'm talking about the something over here. Now, uh, what is the nature of this shofar gadol? Uh, so, I was, like I said, I was thinking about it, and what they, what they, what the two in, have in common, the Maimon Harsinai and the other thing, the Kibbutz Goliath and the Tchitz uh, Mesim at the end of time, is that they're highly nationalistic, they're particularistic, and they're not universalistic. These are things that apply to the Jewish people. The Torah was given only to the Jews. That's why the guy hate the Jews. At least that's what the Rambam says in the Geras Taman, Harsin is Harsino, and the day that they decided to give it to the Jews, all the guy got angry. Because why you pick the Jews, why you pick somebody else? And as I always like to say, Samson Raphael Herschel always said, if all the Jews were honest as the days long and ethical and all that, so then the guy would say, okay, they deserve it. But we're not. So why do we deserve it? And we hold that the Jews are a special people, even if they're known act according to the way they're supposed to act. So that's not fair. See what I just said? It's not fair. The argument that it's not fair, which is an objective argument, we call the Satan. It's a Messias. Why are the Jews chosen? Or why will the Jews get Kibbutz Goliath? That's uh, not fair. Um, that's assuming, you know, if the Jews will all repent and become Tzadikim, then they'll merit it. But not too many chances of that after Kolu Kolu Kitsani Domerel Chuba. It doesn't seem like something's in the air that's going to happen. The Ramosha has to speak about it as a miraculous event. And same thing with Chis HaMesim. These are particularistic towards the Jews. And what it therefore means is that Klal Yisrael is an entity. Klal Yisrael is an entity, has like a mystical status, and they're not subject to the, to the, to the fairness doctrine. Because it should be if the Jewish people all sin, they shall perish, and then we're told it can't happen. So on an individual basis, you are subject to, you, to rising and falling, based on your merits. But as a group, as a seabor, not... Which is why we all try to go to show and be at Sibur on, on Rosh Hashanah. So the idea of the uh, chauffeur blast um, confusing the Satan, I think, is, is 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 a certain way of saying that the we blow the chauffeur to remind or to call in our uh, chips. I mean, to call in our particularism and to say we are entitled to uh, we're entitled to uh, special treatment, even on Yom Adin as at Sibur. Which is not fair, because the rest of the world is, is judged based on what they do and what they don't do. So how come the Jews are, are, are different? 
And you say, no, no, the, the, you know, it is Ma'arvis Asan, meaning the son can't understand it. That is to say, fairness is confused because it's not fair. Now, we say, as part of Judaism, it's not fair. This is a basic teaching of the Jewish religion. So I'm de- uh, I hope you understood what I said. Maybe I ran through it too fast, but I tried to be clear. And this is the meaning, therefore, of all these practices that are ancient in nature, in which you try to confuse the Satan. Um, in the Chemdes Yomim that I just mentioned before, I saw something very interesting, and that was that the original Minhag long ago um, was to... I have to take that back. The Blong de Shover has a history, obviously. And long, long, long ago, obviously, uh, before synagogues existed and before Shimona Esri was invented, I'm talking about the first temple period, thousand years, what did the average Jew do on, on, on Rosh Hashanah? Woke up in the morning, he blew the Shover nine times, and does it does. You know, Tekiah true, Tekiah times three, that's it. Uh, so it wasn't associated, and, and perhaps, if you take that Gemara literally, perhaps... When they blew the first set, Tekiah, Tru, Tekiah, they said, this is Malchius. And when they blew the second set, they said, this is Zichronus. And when they blew the third set, meaning Tekiah, Tru, Tekiah, they said, this is Shofrus. And that's it. Uh, later in Jewish history, the Rambam tells us, beginning of Hilkspila, the Angelus Zegdol invented something called Shemonastri in public prayer, for certain reasons. And uh, then you had to locate the blowing of the Shofr within the, the Jewish prayer practice. And so they stuck the Malchus, Zerchonus, and Shofrus, we are told, in Shachris. Then the Romans uh, freaked out and started killing the Jews, and then they moved it to Musaf. I know you know that story. It's in the Rishalmi. So today we find the kids, I'm talking Malchus, Zerchonus, and Shofrus located in, in the Musaf. Fine. Okay, fine. But it used to be in Shachris. So when in Shachris? So I saw the Chemev Zerman brings down that they used to blow at, at the crack of dawn at Nates. So this is very interesting. Make sure, so the same way now, you're sure to start Shema Nesri exactly at Nates. The second, the day started, as soon as it stays, you, you, they, they blew the chauffeur. So that's like Kadeh Lavrus Asatan, you get it? By the way, it says those words. It even says Kadmel or Shia Usikadmine, which is something I have to work on, I don't have time. Uh, this is in the, uh, in the Chemdes Yomim, that Kadmel or Shia or Shia, those words don't mean anything to you, but they did to me, that's from the Medish Rabbah. I know the Medish Rabbah fairly well. And that's, uh, listen closely, at the beginning of Parsha Vayishlach, you look at the Medish, Vayishlach Yaakov, Malachim, Aleisavachiv, which is a very controversial move when Yaakov sends the messengers to Esau and Chazal criticize him for it and this, that, and the other. Um, but Yaakov and Esau represent the Jewish people in the Sitra Achra, you know, in, in, at a certain level. And Kadmler should beat out the Russia before he beats you. So, before Esav sent Malachim to, 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 to Yaakov. And uh, the idea being that the court begins its session at the crack of dawn, and you want to get in your words, blow the chauffeur, before the cop can start talking, you know, before the prosecutor can start being. It's, it's a kind of a superstitious, mystical, but not mystical kind of practice. You want to hop a rhyme uh, before he can begin speaking. That is probably the origin of the Kiyos uh, Demiyoshev, because later on in history, when they switched... Malchus, Zerchonus, and Shofrus to the Musaf, so you still had the problem. Uh-oh, if it's Musaf, it's going to be like 10 o'clock. The Sultan will be there, ready to talk, and, you know, you begin Shemonasrei. Think of what I'm saying. Especially if you're not Hasidic and you don't blow the Shofar until Chazarza shots and pretend there was no Tekiyas to Miyoshev. So you do the whole Shemonasrei. That's when the Din is taking place. Therefore, the Sultan has a whole hour or however long you're diving, you know, to give his case.
And only subsequent to that do you blow the Malchus Ruchon Shov. It's too late. The complaints against you have been registered. And fairness demands that those complaints be uh, dealt with. So in order to beat that out, the practice developed to go do the Tkiyas the, Demiyoshov. The meaning that replaces the original practice of doing it the crack of dawn. Uh, that's my opinion at this moment of how I think the whole thing evolved historically. What's really interesting is, when I thought about it, I went into the internet and I saw the Yemenites, this is what I read, still have a minute, many Taimani communities. They don't know why that they blow the chauffeur 30 colas at the crack of dawn and nates. Totally separate from what they do in Shul. In other words, then they go to Shul and they do what we do. You know, all that. But obviously, it's an old, old, old minhag from way back when. I mean, really way back when uh, that they blow it at, at, at Nates. That predates, you know, the switch, what, what I'm talking about. And it wouldn't surprise me of all the communities because the Yemenites, Yemenites really go all the way back more than most of us. Is that not true? So you have the faint uh, echo of ancient practices which are based around these ideas of confusing the Satan. But the heart of it is what I just said before, which is you try to get the seaboard together, and if they produce the seaboard, then you invoke the non-fairness doctrine, that the chauffeur Godol versus the Satan represents not the fairness doctrine, but the non-fairness doctrine. So what we uh, look for in Rosh Hashanah um, is the doctrine of non-fairness, uh, which is probably why we don't talk about sins and all that in Rosh Hashanah. I would just, being I'm also a little bit of a rabbi, so you end up with this idea being very um, appropriate for this week's parsha, because Moshe says after the tocha, "Atem mitzamiyom kulchem, rashechem shevtetem," and all the rest of it. Meaning, I'm addressing you as a tzibur. As a tzibur, you will survive throughout history. As an individual basis, there will be holocausts and the crusades and things like that. But as a tzibur, you will survive. So, if your thoughts are tzibur kind of thoughts, then the parsha's nitzam will be a, a comfort. If your thoughts are on your, your personal, then not so. Same thing for Rosh Hashanah. The more the thoughts are on the Tzibor side, uh, is me talking God as a member of a community, uh, the better the chances are. You'll find this idea expressed in many, many Sfarm, but I've gone way overwards, so I expect I won't say anything on Rosh Hashanah in that case. I wish you all a Shana Tova and a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.